1: My producer told me that if you smile while you're speaking, no matter what you say, it adds a bounce to it for the NPR listener who just then just has to listen a little bit more because they're excited about what you're talking. Even if you're talking about children being run over by a steamroller and they're being rolled to pieces. (laughs) Okay. That was so surreal. (laughs) So I had to record. And now you can tell I'm not smiling anymore. I had to record with a giant smile. Wow! Time. So many, so many, so many damn books.
0: Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And today we have Rosecrans Baldwin in the damn library with us. Thanks for joining us, Rosecrans.
1: I am Rose very cool. damn happy to be joining you today. Yeah.
0: Um, we're so glad to have you. Um, you are a writer for an. Uh, a bunch of different online magazines and 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 in print magazines as well you've written for gq places like um places like that as well as you wrote the novel uh you lost me there and the memoir paris i love you but you're bringing me down and you are most recently the author of the last kid left coming out now it's out now it is mcd which is a new imprint
1: yeah it's the new imprint from ferris strauss and drew uh by sean mcdonald yeah. who was my editor for the previous two books and then he got his new imprint and so yes nice, nice. here we are with mcd yeah um, or mcd which is a little bit like lcd sound system i'm not sure if sean has settled on which is th- which the proper side? which one yeah yeah hmm.
2: i like the mcd because of the lc it does have that like it's, it's more cool. it's more hip
0: Let me tell you about this, um, this drink that I made. For, the, for, for you. Uh, inspired by Last Kid Left. This is the California Sunrise that we're drinking. Um, it's tequila... Orange fresh squeeze orange and lemon juice. It's really important that you fresh squeeze your juices. I
2: think it's pretty safe to assume if Christopher's made a cocktail, it's probably fresh squeezed juice.
1: Am I allowed to mention, though, and I probably am just interrupting because I've had two of them so far, <laughs> <laughs> and both are delicious, that there is also sort of a homemade syrup in here, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Which had what in
0: it? So I had a... um. It's a hibiscus and pomegranate syrup that I made. Yeah. So the hibiscus um was... That, that actually was... That came created and i didn't have enough of it so i made a pomegranate syrup to sort of um m- be able to make some more drinks for well ice.
1: it was scrumptious yeah, i mean yeah. it's a relatively hot day in new york city yeah today, yes. and this kind of hits the spot and you reached out to me ahead of time so asking if i had any liquor suggestions and i so, threw out tequila and what's the name of the cocktail
0: it's the california sunrise because these uh this book your your novel last kid left uh there's a there's a star-crossed couple that believes they can escape to California, and everything will be happy there.
1: <laughs> and as someone who grew up you in California, you know that's a lie. Yeah, you, <laughs> it's, uh,
0: California does make it a little easier to be happier than some other places.
1: I live in Los Angeles. My wife and I have lived there for three years, and we still talk about the weather to people. Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Not well, everybody.
0: Everyone loves to talk about the weather in Los yeah. Angeles. There's
1: a joyful naivete about moving to the Los Angeles. You sort of, you don't get dumber. You just get a little bit more dazed. You know? so <laughs> oh. Forever people thought that all the potheads lived in Southern California. And now that we're all potheads, yeah. right, as the yeah. legalization sweeps you know, the world, it's more that we just have so much sunshine. that <laughs> are, just bakes your brain toasted. in a different way. And I don't, I'm not a pot smoker. I'm just a little bit toasted all <laughs> the time.
2: I like talking about the weather when it rains. <laughs> okay i couldn't resist let's uh let's talk about what we
0: bought now
2: yeah drew
0: you you talk for a
2: while um a friend of mine is uh doing some freelance publicity work for a new indie publishing house 713 books okay uh and she sent me their first two books planet grim and glam shack she uh she runs um the next best book club on goodreads Mm. and she was like i don't know give them a shot see what you think and it's always it's fun to be in a place where people are like hey i know enough about your taste i'm gonna take a shot
0: that's cool that's really Uh, awesome
2: so I'm I'm excited to dip into them this summer. And I'm gonna do the thing of going in completely blind. I'm not gonna read any of the press stuff. I'm not gonna look at them on Goodreads. I'm just like gonna pick one up at some point.
1: I love that. Yeah. It's just sort of a passion read. Yeah. You know, just go for it. Throw yeah. yourself into it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah.
0: Um do you wanna go? I'd ha- be, I'd be
1: happy to go. I'm gonna I think a lot of people who may know my name before having been introduced by you may know me because of the morning news so this is this online zine that andrew womack and i and then a lot of people have worked on since about 1999 and in the Uh, celebration of online, not online, but uh, indie publications. I'm going to go with a little magazine. that uh, They were supposed to send me a copy because I have a subscription. It didn't arrive in the mail because I recently changed my address, so I went out and bought it. It's called Racket Magazine. Uh, It is this cool, new uh, indie, sort of beautiful print object that's all about tennis with nothing to do with tennis as a preppy, you know, fancy country club sport. Everything that is other... Than that that has to do with tennis is in this magazine. So there are short stories. There's beautiful art. There's stories about how French players always get crippled after like a semi-final round and can't win anything. There's you know <laughs> huge tributes to Serena Williams. It's just wow. this awesome thing that celebrates a sport that I love and leaves out all the stuff I hate about it, which is like (laughs) when I was, my mom enrolling me in sixth grade into a tennis camp one summer, and it's like super starchy, and these annoying jockey guys that are beating the shit out of me, and I'm like, let me go skateboard. And like (laughs) now that I've come back to it and found it as an adult, it's like, oh, what a cool world. So Mm. Racket Magazine, I'm digging. Yeah.
0: Cool. I remember they did a, they started on a Kickstarter, I believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Nice. Christopher?
1: Yeah,
0: I am... I got sent The the Hot One by Carolyn Mernick. Oh, what's that? It's got one of those really cool subtitles where it's just a memoir of friendship, sex, and
2: murder. Hell yeah.
0: Um,
1: that is a hell of a subtitle. Yeah.
0: And it's, uh, I guess... I Does guess it all one take place then, in one night? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it, it should. But it is all set in Los Angeles and Hollywood, and it's going to be, you know... Yeah, murder and uh, and I'm very and it's her life. Carolyn Mernick, she is the online editor of New York Magazine. Oh, okay. Um, oh, so I'm really excited about this 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 lurid book. I mean, it's really the hot one. It's um it's like a black and white cover, but the hot one is in like infrared. Wow. Yeah, like burning through the pages. I think the
1: only way this book could get better as a pitch is if it all takes place in one hour in an in and out bathroom <laughs> uh
2: the last kid left yeah the yeah. last
0: kid left let's talk about your awesome novel um, right and do you want to give us or their listeners since we read it but li- some of the listeners might not have do you want to talk about what it's i'd love about? to talk
1: about it uh uh, let me give you a preface from where the book came from, and then I'll give you a quick description of the book. Yeah, and cool. I'll keep it short. Uh, seven years ago, I was in a small New England town uh, reporting a magazine story. I had an interview with a local historian. and went an hour. It was awful. It wasn't good for him. It wasn't good for me. We walked away not liking each other. <laughs> but as we did, he said, literally, as an aside, a toss-up comment, Hey, by the way, did you know about the big scandal in our town? And this is, you know, come on, like really teeing me up. I was like, no, what's the big scandal? He said, oh, I can't talk about it. (laughs) It's like we went from a bad interview to a bad tease. You know, like the hookup is not going to go well. Uh, So he said that something had happened in the 30s. I could look it up for myself. There were still people whose families had been involved in what happened. He would not want to bring up their names. However, he gave me one pointer. Look at Life magazine from this year. See if you can find the issue. That will tell the story. So a couple weeks later, inspiration from heaven arrives via UPS from eBay. And there is the Life (laughs) magazine. Uh, And in the center of it is a feature, two pages, 22 photographs. Uh, Late 30s, a 19-year-old kid from uh, northern New England winds up in New Jersey at the beach with two corpses in the back of his car. Uh, the police bring him in. He immediately confesses to a double homicide. He says that in his small town, he had gone over to the home of the local doctor and his wife. It was a home invasion gone wrong. He meant to burgle them. Bad things happened, threw the bodies in his car, drove around New England for a couple days in a drunken fog, trying to figure out where to ditch the corpses, and parked in this little seaside town. So he is schlepped back home. Suddenly we're going to put him on trial, and then everything starts to spiral out a little bit more because the kid's confession doesn't make sense, and more and more people around town are pulled into the story, uh, particularly his underage, at the time she was 17-year-old girlfriend. And the girlfriend uh, happens to be the daughter of the county sheriff's deputy. So, this is explained in the captions of 22 photos in a two page spread in Life magazine. And I, after that, honestly could not look away from it. I mean, this is seven years ago, but I remember that sense of discovery being like, what am I staring at? Um, Now, at the time, I knew I wanted to write about it. I didn't know what I wanted to write about it. But I thought, here's something that could be fiction. And so what I decided as a game, as much as anything, is that I wouldn't learn anything else about the story beyond those 22 pictures. That I was not interested in doing a true crime piece or finding out what actually happened. It was sort of like, here's the inspiration, use this, construct the rest. Hmm. So I tried writing it as a historical novel. I've never written a historical novel. It went like crap. I mean, I couldn't do anything that felt unique or fun or whatever. Um, And after months of that, something, my obsession with those pages had started to shift. Because 22 photos, and I'm drawing a box for the listeners. I'm drawing a box for these guys to try to outline this two-page spread. Uh, A quarter of the real estate, so one half of those two pages, is a sidebar about the girlfriend. And it's these photographs of her in which the press, because the press latched onto this case, it was a dry summer in the media. Stalin was getting up to like minor shenanigans, not like bad shenanigans, (laughs) you know? Uh, And the press at the time flew in from New York, from San Francisco, from Miami, from London, and decided that the girl was a sex object. Hmm. So it's unclear how this happened because I only have my imagination to put it together. But the pictures are of her in a bathing suit on a lawn. I mean, this is. there's no reason for her to be in a bathing suit unless she's out caught suntanning. There's another one where she's holding up a newspaper with a lurid headline, and I would tell you what the headline is, but it would give away part of the plot. Uh, there's another one of her on a date, which makes no sense, because her boyfriend, who has just confessed to murders and his confession is falling apart, is being held in jail right now. The thing is, the girl is not once interviewed. There's no sense of what she thinks, what she feels beyond what's captured in her face in these photographs. One of the biggest photos is of her almost as a silent film star. And so I got really taken with that. That's awesome. Yeah. That led me to this idea that this isn't a story locked in the 30s. This is Greek drama. This is 2017. This is Tumblr. This is, you know, a Terrence Malick movie. This is a piece of fiction that I read when I was a teenager about a crazy love story that matched the emotions that I had as a teenager. You know, and also as a teenager when no one gives you any credit for having emotions. Yeah. Everyone's just like, oh, you're a teenager. You're just hormones <laughs> looking to jerk off in a truck. And I'm like, I don't own a truck. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, once, I, once it clicked for me that this could be a story set now everything opened up and granted it took me six years to like get it all to open up but that is uh the story so now the last kid left is taking the inspiration of that story setting it now and then i just went everywhere i could with it yeah and that's
0: fantastic as far as a summary of this book yeah and it's also very true you really did go everywhere with it patreon listeners will know i often read in bars and I, when I was reading this book in bars, people would you know, what's your book about yeah and i would i s- I would say um it's sort of a in cold blood. On HBO right now, (laughs) 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 kind of book is was my sort of like explanation of it. I mean, In Cold Blood seems like very connected to this. Is that something you would consider an inspiration?
1: Certainly. I mean, I love that book. I discovered that book when I was uh, nineteen. I think my first year in college, I read that book in a class, and that was actually how I got exposed to all of Truman Capote's work. And I think. Something like In Cold Blood, if I could sort of smash that together with something like Ethan Frome, where you mm. have that sense of sort of a, a. it's, you know, the great thing about Edith Wharton is that her prose is so propulsive and the storytelling is so tight and you get wrapped up in it. Um, other people have compared this book to Scarlet Letter uh, in terms of like where an inspiration might come from. and. I did in an interview with my publicity people. I talked about how much I admire that book. And that's certainly true. But I don't, that book is very difficult to read. It is many times that it is just hard to like stay with it versus the Edith Wharton books. You know, and Ethan Fromm is just coming to mind, but there's one I'm forgetting right now that's set in New York society uh, about this young woman who sort of gets tr- this big downward spiral. In any case, Ethan Fromm, here you have small town new england which is something that i know particularly like the side to new england that people don't see when you live in a small new england town long enough and currently people dealing with the heroin epidemic people dealing with copper stripping and you know industry disappearing and agricultural failing and all the rust belt towns through vermont new hampshire maine that you once had textiles supporting them uh and now just have tattoo parlors and you know antique shops I wanted to see that world, you know, in a novel because I knew that, and I was like, I want to see that represented more. Um, But yeah, so certainly in in Cold Blood, where you've got just that very gripping story, where it's about the people as much as about the crimes.
0: And I and I think that um, the the main kid, the kid character, who the one who uh, confesses to the crime at the beginning, Nick, has sort of like a there's an analog or something to to the um, to the younger kid. I'm forgetting their names in in Cold Blood. Oh, uh, uh, I don't remember the younger either. of the two guys. Yeah, um, who's like constantly just chewing aspirin the whole time <laughs> in his <laughs> in his prison. Um, that's I don't know. Like I I was thinking about them a lot. I thought they were sort of echoes.
2: Yeah, it's cool to hear you talk about the small town thing, because, and it it is partially just what's happening in the world as I was reading this book, but I, especially at the very beginning of this book, really thought of Twin Peaks, Mm. and the way that that show hops around, and it's certainly doing it a lot now in the, the new return revival thing, but even the original episodes, they hop from character to character and build this sort of Hodgepodge sense of a town like you get to see the sheriff and you get to see the high schoolers and you get to see the outsider Mm -hmm. Um, And I I was so impressed with the way that you juggled all of them Mm. Uh, Thank you because it there are so many of them and it happens so fast I'm wondering where that structure came from like was that did you start with the structure
1: or did the structure come to you? the structure I largely began with, in terms of, I wanted multiple perspectives because I enjoy reading that. You know, what I knew when I set out with this book is I wasn't going to write anything that I didn't want to read. Like, this was really a book for me. Uh, and what i wanted to sort of do artistically was to create a book i love books that change perspective as long as i don't that challenge me Mm -hmm. to stay up with it but not in a way that i feel like the author is an asshole sort of being like i'm not interested in you reading my book this was all done for me yeah you know like that's i mean fuck that but like i did want people to gain uh all these perspectives to tell one story And because the story for me at the heart of it is these two teenagers sort of trapped as all this stuff escalates around them and the adults in their lives have all their defenses stripped away. For me, the structure of how do I set about doing that needed to have multiple people that you were invested in as a reader. Um, and ideally you could sort of get into each of their points of view their psychology and have an experience with each of them but that might have led to this sort of collective sense of is this person going to be transformed or is this person going to stay trapped right is there a way out or are you going to get you know stuck here because i think for me that's been a lot of moments in my life where i don't really am i going to be stuck for a while in some place or can i find a way out of it
0: did you find it easier to write any character than others like there was there a voice that you're like yeah this is I can write this.
1: You know, what's funny is I was most scared of writing a teenage boy. That was the one which is probably the, should have been the easiest for me. I mean, because I think, obviously, as a dude, I was a teenage boy. And frankly, as an adult, I am a teenage boy. (laughs) So that should have been easiest. I don't know what it is that it says about me or how I was raised uh, or, you know, I'm very close with my mother, whatever. Let's put aside Freud for a second. But I have a quick time writing into female characters Mm -hmm. and i have a quick time writing into male sort of adult characters but a young man for me perhaps was almost too close to home Mm -hmm. and so i worked on nick a lot and it wasn't until i started to let go with nick that i decided that i wasn't going to be so precious about trying to nail it and like really go back to shit that i was ashamed of Mm -hmm. you know when i was 16 19 and I tried to – I would close my eyes. This is going to sound silly for a second. But I would sit at my desk, close my eyes, and force myself with my eyes closed to write down the things that I am most embarrassed by from those periods. Because that, for whatever reason, lingers for so long and stands mm-hmm. out. And those, the names of those girls, you know, like just sort of are there yeah. haunting me. And I'll, I'm sure I will remember their names to my death. But that is something – I didn't want to write about that. And yet once I started telling myself to do it, Nick started to come out and then Nick started like, Oh shit, here's my way in.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Nick, Nick felt, um, remote to me. And I think that was partially because he's, he's such a, he's really violent. He's a violent character. And, um, his confession and and all of that, notwithstanding, and and of the plot, but he he has a lot of violence, and it seemed like he that like that that um motivation is mysterious, or mm. that seemed like mysterious throughout the book. Like the the um the instinct towards violence is something that seemed like completely unthinkable. Mm. Um, is I mean th- that's just a comment. That's not a question <laughs> at all. I th-
1: I think for what what connects for me in that, is that so much, there's a lot of pressure on teenagers to behave a certain way. And I know that I had a lot of anger as a teenager but I couldn't necessarily, I didn't have the guts to necessarily rebel against it. And so what I did was sit on a lot of anger. And that's kind of the background in the family that I come from. There wasn't, anger wasn't really an emotion that was permissible. You know, mm-hmm. that was something to be come inside. So how does it come out? In my case, as a person, it would come out in creatively, like writing poems or writing fiction. And then I started to think, how else could that come out? And it could come out in violence. It could come out in obsession. It could come out in Uh, you know, this intense sort of attachment to someone that you feel like they get you when no one else does. And they're the person that you can Mm -hmm. hold on to, to connect yourself to when the world seems to falling apart underneath your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I wanted his relationship with Emily to be that even when people critique it and not kid teenagers for having that kind of love doesn't make it that happens all the time. Yeah. With kids.
0: let's talk about um emily and and telsa actually um because
1: yes uh can i pause us for a second there so oh, yeah okay so you guys probably read the galley version of this book and not the hardcover Oh shit. are we <laughs> quoting from a galley they tell us not to do that on the back i'm sorry guys but some authors are really dumb and they <laughs> change a major character's name after the galley has come out uh so i'm sorry this is just a silly story I, stupidly, because now seeing that her name is being mentioned as Telsa in the reviews, Telsa is the name of a friend of mine's wife. And I dawned on me too late, who has nothing to do with the character in the book. It's literally like her name, in knowing that I had an Indian-American character, this was an Indian-American friend of mine whose name I just loved because there's this terrific sort of ripping sound to the TH of Telsa. And it's just like, okay, I'll use her name. But I forgot to ask her. And I realized, what if she read that in print and thought, oh, wait, this character is based on me? And it has nothing to do with her. I mean, this, she's a cardiologist, you know, who's like, <laughs> has nothing to do with a freelance journalist in New York City. So the point is, I changed the name. I changed it probably too late. The character's name is Leela. Leela. Yeah. Lila. Sorry,
0: guys. No, it's okay. I have
1: a
2: confession. I read the finished copy. So only me. Yeah cool sorry no cool i wanted to
1: air that though oh wait a second so i didn't have to do that whole confession
2: <laughs> no you
0: did because i didn't get it we just could um, have thought
1: that you were confused oh interesting huh.
0: let's just talk about lila <laughs> <laughs> um these are i mean like like you were saying uh lila is an indian american character yeah um she also is having a hard time with like trying to get her career started. And then Emily, she's a 16 year old girl who, um, I mean, I don't think it's much of a spoiler cause it's sort of talked about, but she has her pictures of her online. Right. Uh, you know, in, in, uh, in, in naked. In, in, yes. <laughs> in, a,
1: in intimate terms, yeah. intimate photos of her. And, and like these appear online during the plot of this book.
0: And they're th- close third. Like you really get close with them and you, and you know, uh, you know, from their perspective and they're also like, that's all about representation and, yep. uh, and, uh being online and identity and um i guess this is like really hard stuff to um to get right and to get into like were you scared of 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 getting it wrong
1: <laughs> yeah i was scared of getting it wrong and i worked really hard to hopefully get it right i think in the end i am satisfied with what i did like yeah i got it right for me there may be people who say that is not my experience in terms of whether or not i got it the way that it is sort of Perfect, but it is I think a a very plausible scenario for both of them to take them one by one the Lila character for the readers uh the readers the listeners
2: they are readers though
1: yeah for the reading listeners yeah for the listening readers
2: if you listen to this show and And don't don't read read books please reach out to us yeah and
1: tell us why you
0: listen because that's (laughs) great
1: can I uh drop an anecdote really quickly while I think of other stuff to say that will sound pithy and wise sure the anecdote is that uh, Evelyn Waugh, is that right yeah. pronouncing that correctly? Evelyn Waugh once said in an interview that you can mention anyone in a book. Literally, you can take, you know, anyone and write about them in a novel or in a piece of nonfiction as long as the first thing you say about them is that they are sexually attractive. Once you do that, that person will have no problem with anything else. You can say that they're, you know, a... I believe that. I don't know, mean person who doesn't like mustard. Doesn't matter as long as someone wants to boink them, you know, all <laughs> So, to the, to your question, uh, in terms of the Leela character, who is an aspiring journalist, writer, living in New York City right now, doing, you know, gr- drudge work on the internet, all I can say is, that was me. Yeah. And uh, that was something that I wanted to explore. And I also know a number of young women both through the site the morning news and students of mine and just friends of mine who have just come up through sort of freelance internet journalism as a way to sort of get into this wordy world right last night I was in Union Square I went to Barnes and Noble I used to go to that Barnes and Noble when I was 19, when I was 20, when I was 21. I'd sit in that coffee shop, I would grab a couple magazines that I'm not gonna pay for, you know, I would buy a chocolate chip cookie or a coffee, and I would look at the magazines or I'd look at the book that I grabbed. And I've got my stupid power book, which weighs 18 pounds, and it's the size (laughs) of a small dog who's been flattened, and I would want so badly to be in those magazines to be in those books and there are so many people like that right now in new york city in austin in san francisco in topeka like wherever they are there are so many people because it's such a wonderful thing to do Mm -hmm. right writing reading we all love this Mm -hmm. um i just wanted it so bad and so i wanted i've forever wanted a character who was that? Who wasn't mm-hmm. I don't care about having a writer character or not having a writer character. Some people some writers are like fuck a writer character. Some writers are like oh that's all I know so I have a writer character. I wanted not the writer character. I wanted like that super hungry person who makes really bad mistakes and drinks too much and has credit card debt and is struggling through all of that because they have this one experience that says reading writing is me. You mm-hmm. know, more than anything that is yeah. me, that's me and I'm just going to go after it and it'll turn out to be something. Who knows what? Maybe I will, you know, get a piece in the New York times, or maybe I will write dog grooming articles, which I did. Uh, you know, maybe I would be a fucking real estate agent. I don't know. But like that yearning was something I just wanted to find in a character. And so that's where Leela came from.
0: But then, but then having her be Indian American as yeah. well, like that, that is a, another huge par- portion of that. Yep. Um,
1: and that for me was a lot about, uh, one, I didn't want that character. If we take this very superficially, I didn't want the character to look like me. Uh, I've got enough white dudes roaming around in my novels. Now, on a superficial level, I say that because it is silly. Uh, What's not silly about it, I think, is that Lila, the character, is struggling a little bit in terms of her family and her background and where she comes from, which is this tiny town in New Hampshire, which she ends up going back to for financial reasons, where she does not want to see her parents. This is someone who's trying to get away from home, and she's trying to get away from things that would tie her down, and that Mm -hmm. can be ethnic identity, that can be family, but not everyone embraces where they come from and i'm that too right and that's something i wanted to explore but i just wanted to explore it in a way where i would be challenged to get outside of my own experience and put myself into someone else's mm-hmm. now what credibility do i have to do that beyond imagination and my own personal experiences i can claim none but that's not to say i, I think that if i were to be hampered by that that would be also a silly hampering mm-hmm. so i just wanted to sort of go for it awesome. fail or not yeah yeah
2: The way that you talk about journalism and the internet and the way that all of these things come together, we were talking about this before we got on air. Yeah. You deal with the modern world. And you and you deal with it in a way that it is a fait accompli. Things move so fast yep. that you don't have time to be like there there is no time to consider anymore. Right. And I'm wondering, seeing that this novel took seven years, it took a while to write. How the pace of current events, not necessarily current, current events, but just like the way that the world moves now, Mm -hmm. how that affected the
1: novel? It's a great question, and the long, dramatic (laughs) silence is because I'm having to think for once, (laughs) and not just riff. Uh, Shoot. My reading habits, the reason, let me start over. The reason I subscribe to The Economist is because... (laughs) Every Sunday morning, I get to lie in bed, and I, my wife and I don't have children. That it was a deliberate decision. We have nieces and nephews that we love the hell out of, and we fly to babysit. I mean, we are just over the moon, but we don't have children of our own. And one of the benefits of not having children of your own is sleeping in on a Sunday with coffee <laughs> and reading The Economist. And the nice thing about that is it takes the week at a glance. It's a distillation of the news rather than getting roped up into it that's how I need to operate in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at Twitter. I'm not good at surprises. You know, I have routines and I stick by them. I'm like a little turtle. Right. And it's scary. The news cycle where things aren't considered, where things aren't measured, where the president is uh, a liar. Right. And the president is a combustible temper driven egomaniac and we have this idea now that that's okay. I mean, we can all go into this subject ad nauseum yeah. and we won't go there. How did it affect the book? I don't know. But what I do know is that I am not good at writing novels fast. And I do mm. think that my novels are better when I take my time and live with the characters longer because I'm the kind of person who revises the hell out of something. I wrote this book probably 20 times, you know, mm. and it's like, they're just drafts and drafts and drafts and drafts because it's, On the surface level, I need to hone the sentence till it sounds right in my head. But on the character level, I'll finish a draft, I'll share it with my wife, I'll share it with my editor, my agent, and they'll come back and be like, That, I just don't know where that's going. And I have to have that hard calculation that doesn't feel good of being like, Well, what was I trying to achieve? Yeah. And if I didn't do it, because you can't edit a novel, you can write a novel with all the spontaneous, uh, Dreamlike magic concentration where you've got your eyes closed and you're feeling your way through this imaginary world uh but you can't edit a novel like that to edit a novel you're a you know a homicidal maniac like you're like slaying <laughs> things left and right because it's not good enough right, right. i mean that's the only way to revise so it, i'm just a slow worker and i prefer things like that a little bit slow there are certain things i prefer fast i was really into drum and bass when i was 22 you nice. know I enjoy a good, quick beer followed by a second one. But (laughs) novel writing, take it easy. Same with the news. News, yeah, take her easy. Mm.
2: To pivot a little bit, as you mentioned earlier, uh, one of the co-founders of the Morning News, which is how we're here, the tournament of books. I know, it's so
1: exciting that this is all coming together Mm -hmm. in this moment.
2: And uh, John Warner... Commentator extraordinaire and biblioracle uh, has never steered me wrong. Wrong has never steered me wrong with a recommendation. <laughs> well pronounced. <laughs> and he he sent me my first Graham green yeah. which was The Quiet American. Oh, great! Novel. And I read it, and I was just like, "Shit, this is great." And then once on a whim, I just picked up The End of the Affair, and oh. again, I was like, "Fuck, this guy's amazing." You said I want to read Brighton Rock. And I was like, great, another chance to read Graham Greene. And again, I had the same thing of just like, This dude is maybe like
1: the best fucking writer of all time. He's so good. It's quite possible. He's I can't say enough about Graham Greene. There are certainly bad things you can say about Graham Greene, both for his writing and for his personal life. But you can certainly say a lot of good stuff. And I will tell you, I discovered him through my wife. Um, The night that my wife and I met, we were at a party in the Lower East Side on a rooftop, a friend's apartment, mutual friend. She had told each of us ahead of time, oh, there's this person I want you to meet. They're a writer. And both of us said... (laughs) <laughs> the last person you want to meet is a writer in new york it's awful but we clicked immediately and one of the things my wife asked me she's like what are your top five books and i was like whoa okay let's play this game and in her top five was the end of the affair by graham green i had never mm. read a single book by graham green i read the end of the affair you know within that week or something and I, i'm now a completist about graham green i've read everything the only thing i haven't read are these massive uh biographies that have been coming out that Where this one writer tracked his entire life by actually going in his footsteps and going everywhere that Graham Greene went. Uh, The End of the Affair, I'm just going to throw down and say, is for a while, was my favorite novel. I mean, it really did do so many things for me that are what either I aspire to as a writer, but also what I want as a reader are in that book. I've now, I've read it probably five or six times. The last time I read it, I was like, I can't read this again. Hmm. And there's something about getting older. I'm forty. Getting older, it's now too upsetting to read that book. The pain that those two characters go through, multiple characters go through, but the primary, the protagonist, the man and the woman, uh, what they go through is now so upsetting to me that I don't want to read it. I actually find it not uncomfortable. It is a lasting... like. The search is bummer to go yeah. through that book. It's not because like, the book is like, not a downer; it's like a wound. I mean, it is a beautiful book, <laughs> yeah. and it's like throw yourself into it. But what they have to put up with—I mean, the disappointment is just so intense. Whew. Okay, so that's over with. Let's talk about this Bright- book that I recommended. Yeah. to you Yeah, about rock. Pinky the gangster. Yeah, so, the teenage
0: sociopathic
2: gangster, oh, what a played by Killian Murphy, in my mind. <laughs> you know, uh, I have
1: never thought of that, but that is a good casting. The whole time I was just like. I know you.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, did you know they did a recent adaptation of this with Helen Mir- Mirren playing Ida? No kidding. And oh I shit! Really you should explain for that. the listeners who yeah. Ida
1: is and how she foils Pinky's plot. So as were.
0: Ida sort of just like uh, kind of gets um, incidentally caught up in this in this uh, plot of of what's going on, and she just she's just a good person. Like yes. she stands as like the a force of good
1: not an easy life ida's life but a good person nonetheless so she has sort of seen the salt of time you know and it's wearing a little bit but she's still like this force of and we also should say i mean that we're on coastal england resort town seedy yeah uh there's like petty crime is and that why you candy brought it to us it's that like is exactly the, what the, the seaside town I, so this is entirely honestly 100 the inspiration for the setting of the book i wanted to do brighton rock in coastal new hampshire because i invented a town for the novel called claymore that place doesn't exist there is no coastal town in new hampshire that in like in my book son of a (laughs) uh, he would have just coastal mountain setting at the same time
2: fuck yeah in my
0: it's all right man it's all right you got me though did i I
2: (laughs) you did in a way that like you convinced it, it, me. Yeah, you. Yeah. The thing that I like but, knew. What you
0: don't know is I have an email thing of uh, Drew being like, "When are we going to Claymore?" <laughs> I'm
1: just like, well, right now. I want the listeners to know that I'm giving you a very sympathetic face. <laughs> and when I walk out the door of your studio, I will be fist pumping. Yeah, very good. Yeah.
0: I actually came across this novel a long time ago because it was um the. I, you guys probably don't know the novel, or maybe you do. Uh, King Dork by I Frank Portman. It. Yeah, um, it's a uh, Frank Portman. He's a he was the lead singer of a band that I'm forgetting the name of, but it was sort of exciting that he decided to write a wa- YA novel, which is what King Dork is. And um, this kid who's trying to, whose dad is absent. I can't remember if he's dead or just absent, um, but he left behind ten of his favorite novels. And one of them is Brighton Rock. Oh, no kidding. Mm. Um, and after uh, after I read King Dork, which I loved, I went and read those 10 books as well because it was a fantastic list of good books. Um, and this was on there and it was my favorite of the mm. 10. Um, but it's a pincer movement of a novel. Like the entire time, you're just like there's two things that are going to come together. Yeah. You're just like watching as like the left arm and the right arm and you're just waiting for them to just like snap shut. Yep. And it's, it's amazing from that perspective because it's completely like it, – it, and it's – truly just good versus evil i mean like pinky is complete evil ida is complete good yeah and you're just waiting for them to have a final climactic showdown
1: right and pinky you know for people who haven't read the book is sort of this teenage gangster very vain self-aware but not in a way that would make him become more of a moral person and yet he has these moments that he can't escape as a teenager they go to the movies right after he's just gotten married to this teenage girl and there's this heartbreaking moment where the girl wants him to go into this little booth and record a message on a, on an oh. LP on a gramophone mm-hmm. and they don't own a record player. She'll never know what's on that record. And he goes into the recording booth and basically tells her to fuck off. I mean, he calls her a bitch on the record. I mean, it's, he's a horrible person, right. right? Yeah. And then he goes to a movie with her and he can't help, but break down crying. And it's like a romantic picture. It's a love story. You know, you can, I don't know who's in that picture, but he can't take it. Right. So he's, I think when you run into characters that aren't evil, but are as close as a human can get, it is so much more menacing. Like the, the, the killer who cries at the movie is a scarier killer to me True. than totally you know some freaking stieg larson you know maniac with the right car mm-hmm. uh but i say that because it just it seems like sometimes authors can't help but like give the bad guy all the right accessories yeah. as if like, like it's like a spread in it's gq the James Bond you know, like, oh yes well he has the right car he's yeah. that bad yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think it's that's one of the remarkable things about this book though and um is that it's just It's so taut, and it's very, it's short. I mean, it's quick. It's, it's a true, and it was, um, it's one of these books that uh, carried the, you know, how a lot of books when they come out now they have a novel underneath. His had an entertainment,
1: yep, Mm -hmm. and not for long. So this is one of my favorite things about Graham Greene. He actually would change that policy later in life, but for a while he would distinguish his more serious literary fiction basically also the, sort of the Catholic novels versus things that he sort of wrote that he considered an entertainment. So A Man in Havana, Travels with My Aunt. Yeah. Uh, these books that were sort of, I don't know, a little bit more fun and light. And uh, at the same time, the reason he stopped doing it, I don't know the reason that he stopped doing it, but he did stop doing it. And I think it's because publicly, at least I like to imagine, people recognized the wonderfulness of those novels. And mm-hmm. they were, you know, End of the Affair may not be one of the great Catholic searching priest novel set in mexico but it is goddamn one of his most moving and persuasive right pieces of work
0: well and and pinky is catholic and it's like that's yeah this blends
2: thing. the tooth it blends the like thriller-esque excitement and then especially in the back half you really get the classical graham green like jed bartlett quoting in the church graham green right of good versus evil in a very
1: capital C Catholic sense yeah mm. and let's not forget like at the time writing let's not forget that sounds so pompous but the <laughs> point is at the time religion which has faded so significantly now was a big freaking deal yeah and the idea that you could go to heaven or hell that there is manifest good and evil that this is that novels are about something longer mm-hmm. for the human soul than just identity. Because right now, what so many novels are about are identity. So much of my book right here is about identity. How do people figure out who they are, what they are, how do they communicate themselves, how do they change over time? Obviously, these are interesting and important things for the human experience. But the idea that there's something bigger than that, I think, was what Green was trying to work through because he had to work through it himself, right? Here is a guy self-identified as Catholic, one of the worst Catholics worst Catholics to walk the earth, you know? Yeah, like. Right. Hello, prostitute. I am your, you know, saint this evening. That's a horrible quote. I should never have said that. Strictly not off the record. Secretly keep it. Uh.
0: He was friends with um, one of my favorite authors, Patricia Highsmith. Um, Ooh, yeah. uh, And they they have, um, I don't know what these are called, the author signing copies that they signed to each other, but apparently they had a, a... even in their um, dedications to each other, they had a fun uh, interaction with e- with one another, and uh, I, I think that they totally make sense as friends because they—they're right. all about like oh, yeah. the tension and like the darkness of the that human sense human of spirit menace that
1: just sort of accumulates over a Tom Ripley novel. I mean, people who haven't read the Tom Ripley novels, I can't recommend <laughs> them highly enough, and oh. it's just—it's often. You know, it reads almost like a country house farce. You know, like you just think, like, oh, it's a novel of manners. It is a young man who is very polite and interested in fashion and the yeah. finer stationaries, and then you find out that the motherfucker is killing people left and right just because he has to maintain his equestrian interests, you yeah, know? and the income that needs to support them.
0: No, and there, there's so much of like his wife that he has in the later novels of just like, she's in another room and he's like, darling, and they have yeah. like a, a conversation, but like there's some guy like trussed up in the, yeah. in the Those corner. Those
2: novels will give you nightmares. They will. And uh, yeah. But, but Graham Greene is very similar in, in that you way. You texted me and you said, this feels very high smithy And I think I was a total dick. And I was like, I think it's the other way around my friend. <laughs> but then I like went and did, uh, I did the, research and I was like what what is the relationship between these two and I found some of those letters between them and it all totally makes sense that like they would be buds yeah
1: one of the things that people would knock green for was that there's just no style to it that it is just You start at the beginning, you get to the end, and along the way, it could be someone else writing it, were it not for this sort of obvious Mm. greenness about it. But it's not, you know, the knock against a Martin Amos novel is that you can, you know, his dad said this apparently. Yeah. uh, Is that the first sentence, you know, it's a Martin Amos novel. You know, it just has that. I mean, Zadie Smith, his first line, Tony Morrison, people just, (laughs) I know. I mean, I should be so lucky. Right. You know, we should all be so lucky that what you do, people are like, yep, that guy is doing himself you know and, yeah God, i love the idea that his
2: dad said that about him
1: no i, I will throw down and say and i do blame the cocktails that might be anecdotal apocryphal it might be just be something i, threw, but I think martin amos dad kingsley amos said that it wouldn't oh. surprise me being the stories that i've heard about
2: both of them individually and together yeah can you imagine being like the, a Doctoro
0: or an amos like you're just like or or hill and king and king <laughs> uh, um, and just like the the son of of a popular of novelist, Lucky Jim, yeah, yeah trying yeah. to do that, Whew. tough
1: dang (laughs) that's one of
0: those that's one of those shadows that uh it's going to be very hard to find your find your light in Uh,
1: i will say there is a tradition in my family of uh, writing poetry for occasions so my grandfather wrote occasional poetry that is literally when someone's having like an anniversary a birthday he would write a poem about it being a hyper educated too smart for his own good kind of guy he would mostly just do it with gigantic words and it would always be about someone's ass or their (laughs) you know breasts or like the guys and he was kind of a jerk so they would bring up that at their birthday party uh for my parents wedding he wrote them a sonnet in greek and on the flip side of the paper is the exact same sonnet still rhyming in latin (laughs) (laughs) a little too much wow yeah hey if if i could do that
0: i think i would too so if i see you guys at
1: a wedding it might be embarrassing i might be like grabbing a microphone and (laughs) and and insulting people intelligently
0: So, thank you for bringing Brighton Rock, though. I, My pleasure. It was such such a great book to revisit.
2: Yeah, I really love this thing of just, like, somebody randomly being like, read Graham Greene now, okay. and I'm always, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will forever. Yeah.
0: Um, let's talk about recommendations. Let's recommend a book.
2: We read some. Recommend you take a look. Yeah. Do you want to start? I don't. I okay. want you to start, Drew. Um, I finished it on my way over here. We were talking about it briefly offline. Lincoln in the Bardo, George Saunders, wonderful book. It, oh, it's so good. It lives up to the hype. It is like a great experimental novel. Yes. Um, I'm still this. The last couple of hours, I have been thinking of like how do I feel about the ending and the things that it says about Lincoln? And also like the other day I was trying to take a photo. I've been doing a thing this year of taking a photo of every book that I read because I've been trying to do like a little art project because you got to do something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, something I was in a, I was in the St. Mark's on the Bowery churchyard and I was about to put the book on a tombstone. And my, my girlfriend was like, don't do that. And I was like, You know, I think Saunders and the ghosts that (laughs) Saunders write would be fine with me putting this book on this tombstone. They'd be down with it. And she was like, those aren't real ghosts. (laughs) And so I've just been thinking a lot about like the reality of ghosts and the way that he presents them, which is
1: unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yes. I was so knocked out by that book and... When my wife and I met, we were long distance dating for about six months. She was living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I was living in New York City. And we, this is going to be pretty dorky, (laughs) ready yourself, but we would read to each other over the phone and we read at one point George Saunders' children's book. I don't know if you know that he did a children's book, but Uh, The Very Persistent Gappers of Fripp is his (laughs) children's book. And it is, I mean, it is wonderful. It's a terrific book. And I remember this was around the time of 9-11 and we went through 9-11 being in New York City and I had emailed Saunders. Uh, I got his email from someone that knows him and I told him that because we'd gone back to that book after 9-11 when so much didn't make sense and things were weird and scary and awful and et cetera. um, And we had read it again to one another. I told Saunders like, in an email, look, this book just meant a lot to us. It meant a lot to us when we met and we were falling in love, and it means a lot to us right now in this weird, scary moment where you don't think that literature and books really like do anything when you know these horrible things are happening. And yet, for us, this is a real consolation in a way or something to sort of just believe in in a silly way, but not in a silly way that's insignificant. And he wrote back the most charming response to that a day later from his seracayus.edu email address, sort of saying, thanks a lot, That's great to hear shit is weird you know it's i'm just it's a nice note and i was like man he's also a gentleman Like That's what awesome a oh. jerk to be able to write like that <laughs> <laughs> and, and also nice... turn out to be a nice dude yeah uh but that book is just a knockout yeah
2: i was i was so thrilled
0: yeah yeah it's a it's so good um rosecrans uh, do you yeah. want
1: to recommend a book you know i've been reading isadora Um, By Amelia Gray. She and I are doing a reading together in San Francisco in two days. We're both on book tour at the same time. Nice. Uh, And for Amelia, it's a, and I know her personally pretty well, but having read her books, it's a new direction for her. There is a poetry to it. There is a, it's a historical novel about the dancer Isadora Duncan in the days after the tragic death of her two children and how she sort of deals or doesn't deal, frankly, with that grief. It's a tricky subject. There is not an adventure plot, you know, with a lot of jungles and buried treasure. Yeah. Uh, But Amelia, uh, Amelia, excuse me, has some pretty insightful and really interesting things to say about grief. And I think, like I was saying, like yes, you can embrace it, and this is what it's like for someone to die who's important in your life. And the idea that it's your children is so much worse. But it's also, how do you run from grief? How do you not grieve? How is grieving sometimes not what everyone expects you to do? Uh, Those, that's all there. So yeah, I'm really enjoying that.
0: Wow. Nice. Sounds really good. I'm excited to read that book. I love I loved um Gutshot and, uh, and 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 Threats, Threats is such a yeah. bizarre uh, reading experience.
1: And can I throw in too that if people enjoy the new Saunders book, which is so good, they might want to check out and this is going to now full circle on Nicholson Baker. Nicholson Baker wrote a book that a lot of people didn't pay attention to, which was a a history of World War II that only focuses on the pacifism movement and similar to Saunders. It's like just very short little sections page by page. And it's just about the event. So it's, you know, pulling nonfiction out of the Mm. air and throwing it down the page of what were the pacifists doing the entire war. And it's, I know that smoke is in the title. I'm blanking on the rest of the title, but it's a great book and no one saw that one coming. And it is, you know, every book of his is different every time, but that one is unique. Wow. Cool. Yeah.
0: That's, that sounds really good. And
1: if you notice that I was over here like typing on my phone, which I don't have a good internet connection, so I wasn't able to get it. I was looking for the title.
0: <laughs> well, well, we'll put it on the website. I, actually, that's a good point to just say. so SoManyDamnBooks.com on our episode page, we actually list every book that we ever books. mention. Um, I sit here trying
2: yeah. frantically to get them all down.
0: Uh, and you can and you can look at a specific show and see all the stuff that we mention, as well as re- recipe cards and everything. So many books books.com is a cool place to go. Some people um, complain in our reviews yeah, that like, we don't mention. Um, they're like, oh, I didn't get that book title. And you can on the on website, website,
2: people. Yeah. All right. Close us out. Bring us home, Christopher. OK,
0: I'm going to recommend something so different. <laughs> um, it's actually a middle reader series um, that I highly recommend to anybody. It's about this crazy family. Um, the first one in the series is called Saffy's Angel by Hilary McKay, and uh, and they they follow the family and, and each one um, you get multiple viewpoints of the family members. Like there's a bunch of uh, brothers and sisters, and they're all artists in some way, um, and they're the they're they're all related to their mother, who is a muralist uh, professionally and uh, heard their their dad lives in London but they live outside and it's just like delightful like it's one of these things where you will um you'll read the first one and then you'll just want to just always be with this family. Get that drug going again. Yeah, and you'll just always want another one and another one. There I think there's six. Um, cool. And uh it, it's incredible summer reading. It's incredible just reading. You can read it to anybody, read it with anybody. It's one of these just fantastic reading experiences. Sounds that, like
1: Rose. You know, Ace, there's no wrong the, time for this book. Yeah, exactly. With ice, if you're cheap, like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I recommend I recommend starting with Safi's Angel, and it's just like the best summer family to get to know. Um, and you'll you'll just tear through all of them.
2: Rate us on uh, iTunes. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at so damn books. Always. And uh, if you've got. A spare twelve bucks a year floating around, or more, throw them our way. Yeah, Patreon.com/smdb. Just one
0: dollar a month pays for hosting for a month. yeah Um, if you do that, so uh, take it costs about fifteen bucks to to host our show for a month, and uh, it'd be that's what your dollar a month goes to.
1: Don't worry about math. We're readers. Yeah. And I'll tell you that hosting, as in like you had me here and you made me a tequila <laughs> cocktail. <laughs> That's not cheap because I've had three of these and it was a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, this is a this is I, this is a triumph of a cocktail. You guys should really make this at home. I know none of you ever do, but
2: <laughs> um, Rosecrans, thanks for coming. Yeah, you thanks guys, so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a treat.
2: We owe this to you. Yeah. So uh, I, long-time I, listeners will know we met in the
0: comment section of the of the Tournament of Books, and we met in real life the night we also met you.
1: Yeah. but yeah. Let's just be clear: there is no owing. you guys met one another and have created something great out of nothing there ain't no owing to that it's cool that the tournament books is part of the Genesis story that's Mm. about it alright we'll take that fair enough yeah I'll fight if you want me to Well, I will yeah. say, if, let me jump in on that for a second. The book recently got a very nice review from NPR, but the headline was something like, "This is the beach read for people who like to stay indoors." Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah it's sort of like it's it's the beach book for people who are afraid of the light. Um, yeah. And I at first didn't know how to take that. <laughs> uh, right now, I still don't know how to take that, yeah. but I'm going to embrace it. Yeah, yeah,
0: I mean it. It's it means
2: that it's super readable at the very you know. At the like, and the it is a good pitch
1: right. because there are those people who are like.
2: You know I was looking for that. <laughs> so we cast our next slide.